0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is eight ten a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 29th of June, 2021. This is episode 445 of Bitcoin and I just read some really weird shit about WorldCoin. Apparently, the Y Combinator chief uh, has decided to raise a shit ton of money for his world coin, which, from what I understand from their website, was launched in two thousand and thirteen, apparently making it the third cryptocurrency in existence, and that's all the rest of the bullshit that you always hear about with the shit coins is it's faster it's got better retargeting, blah blah blah. They basically just kind of adjusted some parameters and of a generic Blockchain and and are doing it, but what's scary here is that he wants to drop this shit to every citizen on the planet, every person in the world. How do you get it? Apparently, you've got to scan your eyeball to get this thing. I don't even know how that's gonna work. Are they gonna take a basket like this? Is supposed to be like this basketball-sized orb that you look at and it scans your irises and then you get like a WorldCoin wallet with a couple of WorldCoin in it or some some weird stuff like that. And my question is, how do you get a basketball sized electronic orb with you know optical scanning technology uh, to pass by every single person in the world? I mean, clearly they're not gonna give this thing to every person in the world, uh, not the orb, right? That's probably fairly expensive. So I can only imagine that, like, what? They'll stick it on top of a Google Streets truck and just, like, start scanning people who want WorldCoin? I, they'll walk up to the... I don't know. It's The whole thing is bizarre. And the fact that a human being, a, a quote-unquote human being, a fellow human being, would want to do that to other fellow human beings is reprehensible, both ethically and morally. Don't buy in to world coin okay all it's going to do is scan your iris and once you do that you're kind of done all right so we got better fish to fry though <clears throat> the sovereign company thesis this is bitcoin magazine's christian carolis and this was all the way back from december 9th 2020 but you know it's come up again and i i think it's i think it's worth the time to actually go back through this i haven't On this show, I haven't actually talked about this, but some other people have, but this is a good thing to remember as, especially considering that more and more companies are starting to look at Bitcoin. So let's just figure out what's going on here. Bitcoin does the same thing for companies as it does for individuals. It gives them more freedom. In the wake of large public corporations adding Bitcoin to their balance sheets, I want to explore the greater implication of companies adopting Bitcoin. As companies adopt Bitcoin, they will begin to gain new levels of sovereignty and leverage over the state as well as amplify their ability to do commerce globally. Today, Bitcoin is still an alternative treasury asset, but as larger and more powerful organizations begin to use Bitcoin directly, they will begin to tear away from the overreach of governments. This, in and of itself, will challenge the dynamics of governance and the nature of nation states as we currently know them. Step 1 hold the treasury in bitcoin and unleash the purse with cold hard monetary energy obviously in the cases of both square and microstrategy there were business reasons for converting portions of their balance sheet to bitcoin however it is not enough for a company to simply hold bitcoin for it to become a sovereign company for a company to truly become sovereign it must run a full node and custody its own keys in a geographically distributed manner step two self-custody the bitcoin <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. By custodying your own Bitcoin private keys, you can take advantage of all of Bitcoin's censorship and confiscation resistance features. These features drastically bring down the cost for a company or individual to break away from a ge- geography or jurisdiction with all of their value. Step three attain complete geographic mobility and control, the leverage, uh, control and leverage jurisdictional arbitrage this kind of geographic sovereignty was extremely expensive and complex before bitcoin with bitcoin a user or in this case a company just holds their bitcoin keys so that they can plug into the internet of value and commerce yeah it's still clunky but the key is that operating outside of the legacy system globally is now possible the alternative economy is here so what is jurisdictional arbitrage well it's the geographical arbitrage or political arbitrage The act of domiciling in very regulatory-friendly countries while still serving a global customer base. Jurisdictional arbitrage is especially well-suited for Internet-based businesses and services. It is often frictionless and inexpensive to locate in a favorable jurisdiction, but serve customers in in less friendly jurisdictions. Sovereign companies are companies that have adopted Bitcoin as their reserve currency, self-custody their Bitcoin, and have created a jurisdictionally beneficial and mobile construction. The near future will be hostile to sovereign companies. Sovereign companies will have to be nimble in order to evade the taxman and the arbitrary and cumbersome constraints to which large predatory jurisdictions try to subject a sovereign company. So what are the implications of a company becoming sovereign? In early October 2020, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and other U.S.-based agencies launched an attack on the legendary Bitcoin leverage exchange BitMEX. U.S. authorities arrested BitMEX co-founder and CTO Sam Reid in Boston and put out warrants for the arrest of the exchange's other co-founders. After posting bail, Reid is currently out of custody, though he is not free to travel. This was not the first time the United States had levied an attack on a cryptocurrency exchange, but this time, things played out differently or more differently than ever before. BitMEX is unique, large exchange, (laughs) in that it never touches fiat at all in its operations. The entire business operates with Bitcoin only. When the United States attacked, it took Reed, who was living in the US, into custody. The remaining BitMEX team was out of reach of the US officials and successfully evaded custody. BitMEX was ordered to stop operations, but because its monetary base was only BTC, the CFTC could not arbitrarily seize BitMEX's funds. Oh ban, I'll bet that pissed them off. This is an example of Bitcoin seizure resistant properties in action. Because BitMEX still had full control of its Bitcoin keys. Customers could still withdraw their funds, and since the initial attack, BitMEX has responded to that the exchange will continue to operate, and that senior leadership would step down so that new leadership could maintain business operations. This turn of events illustrates BitMEX's unprecedented amount of sovereignty and defendability against the United States government, the most powerful organization in the world. I would argue that because of Bitcoin. BitMEX gained a level of sovereignty that was only held by nation states prior to Bitcoin's existence. The key to unlocking the sovereignty is the combination of a Bitcoin standard and jurisdictional arbitrage. With this formula, any large organization can become sovereign. In a world with massive tech giants like Apple, Google, and Amazon already pushing the envelope for corporate sovereignty, it's not too much of a stretch to envision how Bitcoin's features will accelerate this At some point, large corporations will have to become sovereign. As big governments start to micromanage small and large businesses alike, these businesses have two choices, comply or opt out. Bitcoin solves countless problems for almost every kind of business, including this one. And then we've got a tweet here from C.K. Snarks says, Bitcoin's properties already have mass appeal. The masses just don't know it yet. As more and more companies turn to Bitcoin to stymie inflation, they will inevitably also increase their own sovereignty by an order of magnitude. Imagine Facebook or Apple's negotiating power with even the largest nation states in the world where they hold their reserves in uncensorable digital gold and their executives are all multinational sovereigns themselves. This future is not far from today's reality. We have the technology in Bitcoin and companies are adopting it, hence We'll just go look at bitcointreasuries.org and you can find out who that is. I truly have no idea what the future of corporate organization will look like. I don't know if it will come in the form of, of decentralized autonomous organizations or if Google will just adopt a Bitcoin standard and secede from the United States. What I do know is that Bitcoin gives companies and individuals massive amounts of sovereignty and control. And as the world on boards to Bitcoin, companies will be more sovereign, As stated in the prophetic book, The Sovereign Individual, the mega-political returns on violence have shifted. Because of Bitcoin, smaller organizations and jurisdictions will be enabled to compete with larger, more powerful ones, and they will create the conditions needed for businesses to serve the Internet economy playing from a home base that will not regulate them the macroeconomic fallout from this will change the human experience for the better people and companies will have no will have choices because of competition across the globe so the sovereign company honestly you talk about the sovereign individual sovereign companies sovereign nations what we really mean is sovereign entity and it's, so that can the, the word entity can cover anything from a single individual all the way up to a one-world government, right? But at any given time, we're seeing we're seeing regulatory arbitrage play out right now. Actually, let's not just say at any given time. Right now, in China, because you know, the, with along with all the China, you know, fud and banning of the miners and stuff like that, you know, we're we're watching the Chinese miners like try to find new homes. Because they can do that right now. And they, if you have, by the way, if you are a Chinese miner and you're listening to this, and I don't know why you would, but if you are listening to this, if your ASICs are still housed within the borders of China-controlled, you know, China-controlled territory, get them out. Get them out now. Because they are making a mistake by allowing the Chinese miners to take their ASICs and go home. At one point or another, I suspect that they may stop allowing the export of used and new mining rigs from the interior of China and China-controlled territories to outside that shit. So get your shit, get it out. Go over to South America. start Start building South America. Start building your home bases in Central South America, you know, like, I don't know, from Mexico on down figure it out, but get your shit out. Even if you, even if all you're going to do is warehouse those ASICs until you can figure out what the hell to do, then do that, but get them out of China. All right. One of my favorite people in the space, Obi Nwosu is writing this one for BTC Times as he does every week or a couple of weeks. <clears throat> he says, double talk of the town. That's the name of the article. There is only one thing worse than being talked about and that is not being talked about well that's one problem bitcoin has never had to contend with over the last 13 years bitcoin has been roundly ridiculed by all the wise heads of classical economics it's been called every name under the sun from joke to tulip 2.0 but for all mockery it's rarely been out of the newspapers or off of the tv screens the result Everyone from the governor of the Bank of England to your grandmas talking about Orange Coin, but last week saw a deeply significant shift in the way the old guard is talking about Bitcoin. According to the Bank of International Settlements, the global body for central banks, Bitcoin is a threat to the world's entire monetary system and central banks need to quote, step up the fight against it. Bitcoin is an existential threat to old money yeah, that's some tulip. That's some joke. It's impossible to be simultane or to be simultaneously a figure of fun and a danger to the established order. It's one or the other. i'm I'm afraid, <clears throat> although in this case it's neither. The only thing Bitcoin threatens is old assumptions about the nature of money and citizens' financial sovereignty and perhaps the careers and reputations of those who dogmatically refuse to accept that they are watching a once in in a century revolution in financial affairs. The truth is Bitcoin and fiat can live perfectly happy together, each doing what they do best as can CBDCs, which funnily enough were the one digital currency to escape, BIS censure, with the bank saying they could be a tool to achieve greater financial inclusion and lower the high cost of payments, quote. Oh, that's bullshit. Come on, dude. But not Bitcoin, apparently. No matter. The beauty of the free market is that consumers can choose whichever product, service, or currency that serves them best. And not just consumers, countries too. El Salvador didn't embrace Bitcoin out of ideology or experimentation. It simply wants to help its citizens out of poverty. In part, by enabling its diaspora to remit money home without the exorbitant fees traditionally involved in international transfers. Whom does that threaten? The only conceivable downside is if you think financial inclusion is a zero-sum game and that it's a bad thing, Bitcoin was the first digital currency to start delivering its promises to make life fairer for some of the world's poorest people. The best insight into the Bitcoin backlash comes from the president of El Salvador, Nayib, or I think it's Najib. Bukele. In last week's What Bitcoin Did podcast, Peter McCormick asked Bukele why classical economists have such a negative view of Bitcoin. Quote, the answer is in the question, the president shot back. They are classical economists. All their work has been built upon the assumptions that the world and money works in a certain way. All their models and interpretations rest on old rules. Anything that upsets decades of orthodoxy is naturally going to challenge their reputations and will be viewed as a threat. Keynes famously said that when the facts changed, he changed his mind. Ironically, unlike the supporters of traditional Keynesian economies or economics, that's what Bitcoin's champions did. We didn't all start off as believers. Some were skeptical, many more were mystified by the very idea of a digital currency. What unites us is that we took the time to read and explore the issue, to learn about Bitcoin from a technical and philosophical perspective, and understand its potential to bring financial services to the billions of unbanked around the world, and of course, to test the waters by buying a few Satoshis, or in some cases, a couple of billion dollars worth of Bitcoin ourselves. And we didn't fall for the FUD. We looked with objectivity at the arguments for and against Bitcoin. We examined claims that China would kill Bitcoin or that China would kill the planet, or sorry, or that Bitcoin would kill the planet and found them to be spurious. From that, we deduced that the shrill screeching, the mockery, and now the apocalyptic warnings of six months to save the world's monetary system are just sound and fury, signifying nothing. We can't stop people from spreading double-talk or making bad arguments, and in a way, we shouldn't wish them to. Bitcoin is hurtling down the road to hegemony regardless, and those who attempt to defend their reputations by denying its brilliance are only proving the impossibility of not talking about Bitcoin. One of the joys of being involved in Bitcoin is watching people figure it out for themselves. And that's exactly what El Salvador has been doing these last couple of weeks, led by their president. On Friday, El Presidente took to the airwaves to give citizens a crash course in Bitcoin. He also announced that his government is working on a unique wallet called Chivo, which will enable citizens to send and receive Bitcoin and convert it easily to El Salvador's other legal tender, the United States dollar. They'll even get a bonus $30 worth of Bitcoin to get started with. No doubt, some wise heads will pop up in the coming days and weeks to explain the flaws in Chivo, to highlight the dangers of encouraging citizens to speculate in Bitcoin, or to find some other reason to catastrophize. How many, though, will ask El Salvadorans themselves what they make of it? Because as far as this story goes, there's really only one voice that matters, and that is of the peoples. Nice one. Nice one. Dig it. So speaking of Latin American countries, let's, let's do this one from Nomcios out of Bitcoin Magazine. Mexican billionaire calls fiat fraud, says his bank is working to accept Bitcoin. Ricardo Salinas Plegio, I guess that's how you pronounce it, Mexico's third wealthiest man and the owner of Banco Azteca. As well as Major Business Empire, <clears throat> a major business empire, reaffirmed his Bitcoin endorsement and shared that he is working with his bank to become the first in Mexico to accept Bitcoin. Quote, <clears throat> sure, I recommend the use of Bitcoin, and me and my bank are working to be the first bank in Mexico to accept Bitcoin. If you need more details or information, follow me on my Twitter account. He re- he tweeted in response to MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor. Saylor quoted a video in which Pligio explained what he likes about Bitcoin and why he does not appreciate the current monetary system based on fiat currencies, which he called a fraud. Quote, I have invested a lot of time studying Bitcoin, and I believe it's an asset that should be part of every investor's portfolio, he said. The finite supply of Bitcoin, <clears throat> the 21 million, is the key part of the whole thing. Fiat is a fraud, end quote. He also mentioned inflation in his home country, citing the heavy debasement of the Mexican peso that has, that's been experienced against the dollar since the billionaire started his career in 1981. At the time, one dollar could buy 20 Mexican pesos, but according to him, now that figure has climbed to 20,000 pesos. Quote, the fraud in fiat is inherent to the fiat system, and we can see it take place in the United States right now, the Mexican billionaire continued. The monetary emission went to the moon. The dollar as hard money is a joke. Piss oh, pissing people off right there. I guarantee it. Finally, he said in the video that if he had to choose only one asset, good or currency to hold through the next thirty years, he would select Bitcoin and no stinky fiat for any reason, no paper bills. <laughs> the billionaire who said last year that he holds ten percent of his liquid portfolio in BTC, has a fortune with stakes in the retail, banking, and broadcast businesses. According to the Bloomberg Billionaire Index, he's currently the world's 137th richest person with an estimated $15.4 billion of net worth. Okay, so we've got this third richest man in Mexico, 137th on the list of world billionaires, who owns one of the largest banks in Mexico, saying that he's working with his bank, to make sure that that people can use Bitcoin through Banco Azteca. And so what do the powers that be have to say about that? Well, Mexico's finance minister confirms cryptos are banned from the financial system. Oh, that was quick response. Coindesk and Andres Engler is writing this one. A top Mexican official reiterated on Monday that a ban on the use of cryptocurrency in the country's financial system is in place. Arturo Herrera, Mexico's finance minister, said cryptocurrencies aren't legal tender assets and aren't treated as currency within the country's current regulatory framework. Those bans are not expected to be lifted in the short term, Herrera said, during a presentation to the Financial Action Task Force, a global anti-money laundering group. The announcement comes after a Sunday pronouncement by billionaire Ricardo Salinas and noted bitcoin bull that he was working to make banco azteca the first bank in mexico to accept the cryptocurrency salinas is chairman of grupo salinas the bank's parent company herrera's comments weren't explicitly tied to salinas's pledge but came within hours of the businessman's announcement herrera said his secretariat will publish a four-page communique detailing the government's position In a joint statement, the Central Bank of Mexico, the Finance Secretary, and the National Banking and Securities Commission specified that cryptocurrencies are neither legal tender assets nor currencies (coughs) under the current legal framework. In addition, they warned about the risks of using cryptocurrencies. The document consists of four pages and was characterized by Herrera as unusually extensive. The three entities reiterated the warnings that they issued in 2014, 2017, and 2019 about crypto's risks as a form of exchange, store of value, or other form of investment. Sorry guys, Bitcoin is not an investment. It's how you save money. We're going back to the old ways. In addition, the document said that financial institutions in Mexico are not authorized to deal with virtual assets such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, or God forbid, Ripple, and others in order to maintain a healthy distance between these and the financial system. (laughs) If you don't want to get your ass kicked, you maintain a healthy distance between you and that which is going to kick your ass. That's all that means. Financial institutions that conduct or offer operations with virtual assets without an authorization will be in violation of the regulations and subject to applicable sanctions, the report added. Mexico is the headquarters of Bitso, the largest cryptocurrency exchange in Latin America. In May, the company raised $250 million in its Series C funding round and reached a $2.2 billion valuation. The statement on Monday affirms that the government has not authorized the collection of deposits from the general public, quote, through technological schemes related to blockchain or distributed registries known as stablecoins, end quote. In May, Bitso CEO Sergio Vogel said on Coindesk TV's First Mover program that the exchange, which has 2 million users, has seen a sharp increase in demand for dollar-linked stablecoins. Bitso did not immediately respond to Coindesk's request for comment. So, pouring the cold water on a billionaire. And honestly, I, I don't think it's going to do anything. I mean, for now, yeah, it's going to be the same old story that we've always seen. It's going to be a fight and they're going to go back and forth and then somebody's going to crumble or somebody's going to be replaced in an office of high enough authority that's going to have, you know, the pressures of the people of Mexico on their back and they're going to crumble like, you know, fold like, as they say, fold like a cheap suit. I don't know when it'll happen, but I know it's going to happen. So, again... You know, these actors, they, they fret and worry their hour upon a stage, you know, sig- filled with, was what it, oh, what's the quote? Hold on. Yeah, here, here's, here's the full Shakespeare quote. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this pretty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time and all our yesterdays have lighted fools. The way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's been a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. There's a whole whole lot of stuff packed in that little paragraph right there, y'all. A whole lot of stuff. It really does. If you allow yourself to gain your spine and look at yourself as more sovereign than you've ever looked at yourself before. And you will figure out that the people that somehow or another through apathy, I I, I don't know, apathy of the world's population, but them using distraction and fear and the corporate media as their mouthpiece has been able to foist upon the world's population some of the most heinous shit since Nazi Germany. I, 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 when, when I say things like that to people that in Land, they look at me sideways. And I'm like, what you don't understand is that I just told you the actual truth. I know you don't wanna hear it, but that's the actual God's honest truth. Let's continue. As miners head west, Bitcoin heads towards historic difficulty drop. This is Thomas M writing for BTC Times. Bitcoin is headed for what is expected to be the largest downward difficulty adjustment in its history. As China has effectively opted out of Bitcoin and decided to have fun staying poor by instructing banks and payment services uh, providers to cut off Bitcoin link transactions and ordering miners in various regions to shut down their operations, Bitcoin miners are packing up and moving west. The result? Bitcoin's hash rate has seen a drastic drop from highs above 180 to just below 100 exahashes per second at press time. In the aftermath of the regulatory crackdown in China, which used to house more than 60% of Bitcoin's global hash rate, various photos have been emerging showing the process of bulk shipments of mining rigs to other countries. For many, the destination is North America, where many locations offer cheap and abundant hydroelectricity. Meanwhile, Bitcoin is only days away from the next difficulty adjustment, which looks to be the largest downward adjustment in all of Bitcoin's history. The difficulty level determines how difficult it is for miners to solve the computational puzzle required to find a Bitcoin block. The more hash rate the network gains, the faster blocks can be mined and vice versa. Every 2016 blocks, or roughly every two weeks, the difficulty is therefore automatically adjusted based on the current hash rate. This way, Bitcoin's approximate block time of 10 minutes is insured. As China's move against Bitcoin requires a large portion of the network to shut down its miners, the hash rate has dropped considerably over the course of a couple of days. The next difficulty adjustment is therefore anticipated to result in a cut of more than 23%. The impact of the downward difficulty adjustment for Bitcoin users will be negligible. In fact, you likely won't even notice it. The difficulty adjustment is part of how Bitcoin operates and therefore Bitcoin will simply continue operating as it always has. Similarly, the lower the hash rate or the lower hash rate, which is currently back to early levels not seen since last year, doesn't immediately affect end users looking to buy, sell, or store Bitcoin. Although lower hash rate technically means that less hash rate is required to launch an attack on the network. Such an attack is extremely unlikely, both due to economic incentives to mine with the network rather than against it, and a global shortage in mining hardware that makes it extremely complicated, costly, impractical, and essentially impossible to gain control over the mining power required to attack Bitcoin. The hash rate drop is further widely anticipated to be temporary as miners are forced to relocate. Many expect the hash rate to recover as miners plug in their rigs again, only outside of China this time. And that's why I reiterate to any Chinese miners that may be listening to this, or if you know a Chinese miner, you might want to get them on the phone and tell them as quick as possible to not wait, run for the exits, even if they have to warehouse their machines and figure out what they're gonna do with it after. Those machines need to be outside of China. and not as i don't think not as much for the fact that the chinese could seize it and try to attack bitcoin i don't think that that would be successful at all considering that i would imagine already over half of those miners are already outside chinese government authorities reach but if they were to you know if they were to say oh i don't know if they had done this lockdown and this bitcoin mining ban and immediately seized all the miners and they didn't even unplug them <clears throat> Then there would have been a possibility for a credible attack on Bitcoin, which is why I'm very happy that all this shit is happening because they're not, all that hash power is not going to go to one single country. They're going to spread out. It's going to spread like wildfire and it becomes even more difficult for an issue of something like 60% of mining to be in one sovereign nation's, you know, control. And because of that, the more decentralized the network, the harder it is to actually credibly attack the network. All of this is actually good news, but the best news of all is the difficulty adjustment. And if you don't know exactly what that is or how it works, I get you. It took me a long time to figure it out. Why is it important? Does it affect the price? No, it doesn't, not directly, it indirectly does the the real you know if you really want to get into the real problem of of decreased hash rate <clears throat> there's a couple of them that I see and one is transaction time which is always slow to begin with but with lightning and other you know other things that's not going especially going into the future it's not going to be as critical when we have a hash rate you know drop or or something like that the other problem that I actually see is uh, the fact that it's a two week difficulty adjustment period. Um, it hasn't really been able to be gamed before, or if it has, it, it hasn't really been gamed. Um, <clears throat> but what I'm getting at here is when this difficulty adjustment goes down, okay? It's gonna, blocks will be coming back in at 10 minutes. What happens if like the like the very next block, like the like the 2017th block, because <clears throat> every 2016 blocks the, the protocol recalibrates the hash rate? Okay. So what if on 2017 block, every single one of those unplugged miners suddenly get plugged back in? Hmm? Huh? Eh? You get what I'm saying? All of a sudden we rock it back up to like, let's say 100. Let's say we we only get back up to like 150 exahashes per second. And that starts on block 2017. We're gonna be having like, I don't know, I'm not gonna do the calculations, uh, but let's say that that results in six minute blocks. That means that the emissions of Bitcoin being sent into the network, uh, the the inflation rate increases quite a bit. And it will stay that way. (laughs) It will stay that way for exactly two weeks the only way to the only thing that combats that is if when they do plug all these miners back in it's not just one entity and a shit ton of their miners plugging back in and all the rest of them that unplugged remain unplugged if that happens that's that's a problem but that even that won't happen it'll be everybody everybody gets in on it right because the emission times are like radical which mean, still means not one entity is really overhashing anybody else and th- i got to tell you man out of all of the consensus rules <clears throat> the difficulty adjustment which isn't really a rule but <clears throat> there's like there's like i don't know there's four base element there's four key technologies or five key technologies to bitcoin and then there's like a set of 15 you know consensus rules But out of all of the things that make Bitcoin what Bitcoin is, the difficulty adjustment is my absolute favorite part of the entire thing. Speaking of those numbers, let's run some of our own. CNBC.com, commodities and futures, oil and all other flammable liquids are again on fire. West Texas Intermediate is up just over a point. $73.71 is what a barrel of West Texas Intermediate costs. Brent North Sea is coming in at $75.38. That's up just under one percentage point. Natural gas is, wow, 4% to the upside $3.73 for 1,000 cubic feet of that. All the shiny metal rocks have lost their sheen and luster. Gold is down 1.34%, $1,756. Silver is down a point and a half, $25.86. Platinum, get this, down two and a third points. Copper is down almost half a point. Palladium is down three quarters of a point. Agricultural futures are mixed. There's not really anything here other than corn that's doing wide moves. Corn is up almost two percent. Uh the Dow futures up a half a point. S P futures up 0.18. Uh Nasdaq futures down 0.06%, and the SP Mini is up a half a point. And it looks like all it looks like all the bond prices got pushed down, not by Terrible amount, so we won't get into it. Let's talk about real money. At $36,169.5, we have 231,494 transactions of Bitcoin performed in the last 24 hours. That's just under 10,000 average transactions per hour with half a million BTC being sent in the past 24 hours which is 21,600 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 2.2 BTC, median transaction value of 0.027 BTC, which is just under $1,000. And the block time is high, 14 minutes and 41 seconds with half a BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 52.39 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a, holy shit, a 33.7% rise in hash rate, we are still at 86.7 exahashes per second. So we've lost about 100 exahashes per second in the last few days. Now, your shitcoin indicator as normal is Dogecoin, and it is just at one US quarter or 24.7 cents. Uh, Clark Moody's got other information, <clears throat> 40,595 transactions are waiting on 36 blocks to clear. Market capitalization of Bitcoin stands at $680 billion, which is just under 6% of gold's market cap. And we can get 20.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin of which there are 18,744,485.25 in circulation. of those are in the Lightning Network with a capacity value of just under $60 million running over, oh, we've breached 12,000, y'all. It's running over 12,063 Lightning nodes with 51,034 payment channels. The percentage of Tor capacity hits all-time high that I know about of 64.8%. And that means that there's 1,061.21 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. And that's being run over 6,636 Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Uh, let's start this one off with transferring Bitcoin from Luno to overseas exchanges is a crime. Oh, God. Okay, here we go, man. This is from uh, mybroadband.co.za, John Vermillion, I think, is writing this one a few days ago. The South African Reserve Bank and other regulators have warned that it is a criminal offense to transfer cryptocurrencies bought on a local exchange to one located outside of the country. Regulators issued the warning through the Intergovernmental Fintech Working Group, or IFWG, which recently published an FAQ document as part of its position paper on crypto assets. The IFWG is comprised of the Competition Commission, Financial Intelligence Center, Financial Sector Conduct Authority, National Credit Regulator, National Treasury, the South African Revenue Service, and the South African Reserve Bank. Quote, exchange control regulation 101 c prohibits transactions where capital or the right to capital is without permission from national treasure, treasury directly or indirectly exported from South Africa. That's classic capital controls, All right? So note that. <clears throat> Transactions where capital or the right to capital, that means my property, without permission from national treasury, directly or indirectly exported from South Africa is prohibited. My property, I am prohibited without their express permission to do with what I want. That's South Africa for you folks it added that this includes transactions where an individual purchases crypto assets in South Africa and uses them to quote externalize any right to capital externalize any right to capital they don't want sovereign individuals this is directly directly against what the the very first thing we read this morning which was the 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 thesis of the sovereign company right you cannot move your capital anywhere. Even though that you have the right to call it property in South Africa, you have to keep it in South Africa. You cannot get rid of it or or take it outside of the boundaries. The doc- document goes on to warn that breaking these regulations is a criminal offense. Contravening South Africa's <clears throat> exchange control regulations carries a penalty of 250,000, uh, was it, oh God, uh, rands, uh, as a fine and possibly up to five years' imprisonment. The fine may be increased up to the value of the offending transaction under certain circumstances. However, the regulations specifically link this escalation to any security, foreign currency, gold, banknote, check, postal order, bill, note, debt payment, or goods. <clears throat> My broadband connected South Africa's three major crypto asset exchanges for comment. But none of them wanted to directly address the challenges this pronouncement might cause for them both luno and altcoin trader offers services that allow clients to earn interest on some of the cryptocurrency they hold in their respective platforms. These products rely on offshore partners to function, and it is unclear how the decrees from the SARB and the IFWG affect such services. Richard DeSalza, the CEO of Altcoin Trader, said that they are looking at the papers published by the IFWG and considering many things. DeSalza said that Altcoin Trader is undecided about its next move and therefore doesn't feel like it can offer any meaningful feedback at this stage. Marius writes, Luno's general manager for Africa said that while it's clear from the position paper that there is the intention to bring crypto assets within South Africa's exchange control framework, it is unclear how this will be implemented and regulated. Quote, Luno has engaged extensively with the Reserve Bank on the practical challenges posed by applying the existing exchange control regulations to crypto assets and looks forward to continuing to work together to ensure regulations are fit for purpose, Wrights said. Quote, Luno is supportive of clear and market conducive regulations for the crypto industry, he continued. He warned that the industry is still in a formative stages and overly burdensome regulations imposed too early may stifle it or drive it underground. Quote, a phased approach to implementing regulation for the crypto industry in South Africa, beginning with mandatory AML KYC obligations, is a sensible approach which will assist in mitigating any potential negative implications of regulation, Wright said. He commiserated with the SARB and IFWG stating that regulators don't have an easy task, quote, they have to get, get to grips with the new technology that very few yet understand. LUNO will continue to work with regulators around the world including the South African Reserve Bank to put in place the appropriate regulatory frameworks which are optimal for all stakeholders, said Wrights. VALR, which partners with an offshore exchange to offer some of its services, did not respond for a request for comment. The Reserve Bank's crackdown on cryptocurrency goes beyond the IFWG warning that moving your cryptocurrencies offshore is a criminal offense because it has also banned banks from allowing clients to buy crypto assets from overseas providers using their debit or credit cards. So they've, like South Africa, basically just walled themselves in on this. And what's odd about it is that from the read of, that I'm getting out of this is that these regulations have been in place for a long time. However, it's just now that they're starting to to scream bloody murder about it. That just tells me that they're scared. And they should be. They should be scared. They see their death before them. There's nothing that they can do about it. They know it's just a matter of time. It's like, you know, they're just, I, I don't know. May, are they, are all these people just fighting to get to where they you know, can take full retirement at 65. You know, at least that's what it is in the United States. I have no idea what goes on in other countries, but it just, I don't know. It's like, this is, this is inevitable. In the end, it was inevitable. It's, there's nothing that you can do about this. But man, this is some of the most draconian shit I've ever seen because they're, they're not even, they're being completely transparent here, which I guess is good. But they're basically saying that your right to a property has to have permission to move beyond the borders of South Africa, and they're making no bones about that. That should scare the piss out of South Africans right now. But let's move on. The CME Group, uh, Micro Bitcoin Futures, has quickly passed 1 million contracts traded. Bitcoin Magazine's Namcios has this one. Major Derivatives Marketplace CME Group has announced that the volume of its Micro Bitcoin futures. Offering surpassed 1 million contracts less than two months after launch. Quote, we continue to see strong customer demand and rapid uptake in our new micro Bitcoin futures contract since their introduction a little more than a month ago, said Tim McCourt, CME Group's global head of equity index and alternative investment products in the announcement. The micro contract opened up a more accessible avenue into futures trading. CME introduced the contract to provide market participants with a much smaller contract option to hedge and trade Bitcoin. At the time, traders and institutions had to resort to contracts in denominations of five Bitcoin. Only a week after launching in May, the microcontract saw over 100,000 contracts traded. At one-tenth of one Bitcoin, this micro-sized contract is designed to provide market participants from institutions to smaller, sophisticated, active traders with another tool to hedge their spot Bitcoin price risk or execute Bitcoin trading strategies in an efficient, cost-effective, and easily accessible way, said McCourt, the microcontract has seen both institutional and retail interest since it started trading, per the announcement. According to Brooks Dudley, global head of digital assets at EDF, MAN Capital Markets, there's been more institutional volume than anticipated. And the CEO of Ninja Trader Group, Martin Franchi provided insight to the retail side. He claimed that he's seen a fast rise in popularity of the new microcontract among active retail traders in different asset classes who have since entered the Bitcoin futures marketplace. Since CME announced its very first Bitcoin futures product back in 2017, similar offerings have surfaced. Uh, Intercontinental Exchange backed launched its own BTC futures product two years later, but with a key difference. While CME's product is cash settled, backs are settled on actual Bitcoin. And more recently Goldman Sachs started offering derivatives based on the BTC price and trading Bitcoin futures with Galaxy Digital. Futures markets are meaningful because they increase liquidity for institutional investors and drive adoption as more players enter the game in a cascading effect. So apparently their little micro uh, BTC futures contracts has kind of exploded in usage and popularity. Honestly, I don't really know if I like that or not, but I don't trade Bitcoin, so I'm not gonna worry about it too terribly much. However, I just, I don't know, man, the whole thought of derivatives, it just leads me to ask the question as I normally ask, why not just buy Bitcoin? Unless of course you're an IRA, so I I get that. But if you're retail, if if you can just go to Cash App or swan or river financial and just buy some yes kyc bitcoin or if you can just mine the shit on your own for a non-kyc bitcoin i don't understand why we just don't continue to do that but that that's what i do i I don't need a futures contract to be in bitcoin and in fact if i were to say i was in bitcoin but actually held nothing but futures contracts I, i i think i'd be lying but whatever back to south africa South African asset manager denies stealing billions from users, claims 5 million was lost in the hack. Brian Quarmby for Cointelegraph. Uh, Reis Kaji, the co-founder of South African crypto investment platform AfriCrypt, this is the AfriCrypt saga going on y'all, has denied claims that he and his brother ran off with billions of dollars in investors' funds, asserting that the platform lost $5 million in a hack. Last week, Cointelegraph reported that AfroCrypt, an asset manager purporting to offer daily returns of up to 10% that launched in 2019 has been accused of disappearing with almost 70,000 BTC of investors' funds in a mysterious exploit. While AfroCrypt has notified users of the hack on April 13th, suspicions were immediately raised as the message urged investors to avoid ta- taking legal action as it would slow down the recovery of the funds. Shortly thereafter, the brothers reportedly halted AfroCrypt's operations and then went missing. Speaking with the Wall Street Journal on June the 28th, Reyes sought to counter the accusations laid against AfroCrypt and its co-founders, asserting that the pair went into hiding after receiving death threats from some, quote, very, very dangerous people, end quote. Ray's also rejected claims that $3.6 billion in funds is missing, asserting the firm only managed $200 million during its peak in April and that only $5 million of investor funds are unaccounted for after the hack. Hankum Attorneys, the law firm representing AfriCrypt's customers, alleges the brothers transferred $3.6 worth of BTC. It liter- okay, the sentence literally says $3.6. I think they forgot billion. So three, let's say that $3.6 billion worth of BTC from AfriCrypt's accounts and client wallets before moving the funds through various dark web tumblers and mixers to prevent the funds from being traced further. If the allegations against Africrypt are true, the incident would surpass the losses from South African-based Ponzi scheme Mirror Trading International, which pulled in 23,000 BTC from unsuspecting investors in the country's largest confirmed crypto fraud to date. At today's prices, the stolen BTC would fetch $800 million. Lawyer John Ustesen who is representing the Kaji brothers, told the BBC in June, on June the 26th that the pair has categorically denied the allegations that st- that they stole their investors' funds. Quote, they maintain that it was a hack and that they were fleeced of the assets. Fleeced, huh? So they're saying that they themselves, oh, whatever. South Africa's Financial Sector Conduct Authority, or the FSCA, released a statement regarding the case on June the 24th, noting that the project appeared to have Ponzi-like characteristics, Quote, this entity was offering exceptionally high and unrealistic returns akin to those offered by unlawful investment schemes commonly known as Ponzi's, end quote. However, the FSCA asserted it cannot take any action against Afrocrypt as crypto assets are currently unregulated in South Africa. According to the WSJ, a separate group of investors is seeking AfriCrypt's liquidation the brothers plan to surface for a July 19th court hearing regarding their claims. Oh God, <clears throat> it's just a load of bullshit. Ten, it is. It probably was a Ponzi. Ten percent to ten percent returns daily. There's, sorry, man, no, 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 no. Stay away from anything that looks like that. Anything that looks like that, you're gonna lose your Bitcoin. Always keep your own keys. Yes. You may fuck up and lose your own keys, but at least it'll be your fault and not somebody else's just taking your money and going and living on a beach in the Caribbean. So Salvadorans will not be forced to use the government's Bitcoin wallet. Martin Young tells us more from Cointelegraph. The latest announcement from El Salvador's pro-Bitcoin President Bukele has clarified that citizens will not be forced to use the government issued Chivo Bitcoin wallet. In a tweet on June the 29th, El Salvador's President Bukele stated he wanted to clear up any misinformation regarding the government's wallet application following the passing of the country's Bitcoin law on June the 9th, which will take effect on September 7th. The new Bitcoin wallet is called Chivo which is slang for cool in El Salvador, and it can hold both Bitcoin and US dollars. Bukele stated it is just one of many crypto wallets that can be used, emphasizing its interoperability with other wallet apps. To allay privacy concerns, he added that the personal information requested by the wallet is already possessed by the government, emphasizing any request for personal data within the app or for security purposes. Bukele also highlighted that the Chivo wallet will not incur fees or commissions for transfers, noting that unlike traditional crypto exchanges, it will not take a cut for converting BTC to USD and vice versa, and unlike credit cards, there will be no commissions charged to merchants or users. Bukele stated that any money that is held or received in USD or BTC in the Chivo wallet will be available to be withdrawn into USD cash at any time at once the government or once the government has completed its rollout of 200 new physical bitcoin atm branches dubbed chivo points or chivo atms the president also clarified that the $30 government btc handout announced on june the 25th would not be convertible into usd emphasizing the administration's intention to encourage the use of bitcoin in the chivo wallet The new digital wallet initiative could revolutionize monetary policy in the Central American nation. Roughly 70% of the population in El Salvador does not have access to bank accounts or financial services of any kind, according to a NASDAQ report. So, okay, that's not gonna play well. Uh, And I'm talking about just this, the fact that the $30 in BTC is not going to be convertible to USD. Well, I'm not sure how that works considering that the infrastructure is supposed to be that BTC can be, the BTC that you receive as an El Salvadoran retail merchant or something like that can be immediately converted into USD. So this, I don't know what they're trying to say here, but I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of some of this law. I mean, but that's okay. You know, just because I'm not a fan of some of this law doesn't mean that I'm not still excited to see the implementation in El Salvador. I am hoping that one, that you know some other Central American or you know Latin American country will do the same thing, except make it completely optional to use BTC, where it's not where it's legal tender, and that you can use it, but that you don't have to accept it or you don't have to use it if you don't want to. To have an experiment on the other side of the El Salvadoran experiment. to see if it grows organically and not in a forced environment. And I think between those two models, other models would basically be able to be built. So we'll just have to wait and see about all this. But continuing on, let's do this one. Oh, my God. Uh, You're going to love this one. Bitcoin creates feudalism, says Yanis Varoufakis. Liam Frost has this one out of Decrypt.co. Former Greek finance minister, Giannis Vafrakas has argued that Bitcoin creates a kind of feudalism run by the early adopters and that it would be outright catastrophic if it replaced fiat currencies. However, he said, there is still a lot of good that digital assets can bring to the world. Okay, that's all I'm going to read from this Decrypt article. Because Giannis... Being the former Greek finance minister, the operative word here is Greece. All you really have to do is look at what's gone on in Greece over the past few years, and you'll figure out that the one person in the world who has the littlest amount of input that they could possibly have into their opinions on Bitcoin is a guy like this. So it's coming, y'all. The financial, uh, you know, fi- uh, let's just group them all as financial conduct authorities, whether it's the IRS to the UK to, you know, the to FinCEN, all of it, just FCA's, man. All of them are going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to stay out of the woodwork and they're going to be shrieking in the streets and they're going to go on every single business and investment show from now until hither and yon about how terrible Bitcoin is. They can't stop it. I wonder, I I wonder if there was one person alive that knew the implications of the internet when they sent the very first message from, where was it? It was like Caltech to like, I don't know, some other Californian, you know, Californian college. I wonder if somebody on that day said, you know what's gonna happen? Yanis Varoufakis, one of these days, is going to lose his ever loving mind and bitch about something that he can't control. I don't know. Be interesting to go back in the Wayback Machine and, and figure out if somebody had actually mentioned this is going to destroy money, too. So, okay, now, lastly, Fitch Ratings warns against El Salvador Bitcoin move. Adriana Homaker has this one from Decrypt. Fitch. One of the big three credit rating agencies has cautioned that El Salvador's move to make Bitcoin legal tender would put banks at risks of losing lo, uh, losing money, money laundering, terrorist finance, and tax evasion. El Salvador's president, Najib Bukele, announced last week that Bitcoin would become legal tender on September the 7th. Now we have a hard date. However, the World Bank, the IMF, and other global authorities have been critical of the move. The World Bank has refused a request from El Salvador to assist in the country's implementation of Bitcoin as legal tender. In a blog post on Friday, Fitch warned that Bitcoin could potentially violate international anti-money laundering and terrorist financing standards and facilitate tax evasion. All right, with that, I'm just going to leave that here, and I'm just going to say this. Fitch... When they said that Fitch is one of the big three credit rating agencies, what they don't really talk about is that the rating agencies were paid money to give collateralized debt obligation packages, triple A investment ratings when they were worth far less than, than a triple A rating a B minus or a C plus at best. I mean, junk rated bullshit, just absolute garbage. And you saw what the CDOs did in 2008 when everything just exploded and all these banks figured out that they had CDOs and whatnot on their their balance sheets because the people that built those packages were going to the ratings agencies and giving them money, i.e. bribes to overlook the fact that they had packages of pure bullshit to give them AAA ratings so that nobody would look twice at what was actually inside, unless you're an autistic doctor, in which case you did look inside. But one of the very best scenes of just how criminal and unethical and immoral that shit is comes out of the movie The Big Short, where one of our guys from the movie... (sniffs) For the guy oh i can't remember the actor's name right now it's the the dude the boss from the uh, united states version of the office when he's being instructed by like he's gone to a agency or, or a, agency, a ratings agency to find out why the hell these things got triple a ratings the, the the person he's talking to just lays it out for him and says look if we don't rate it at triple a and we take their money for that rating then they're just going to walk down the street and they're going to go to one of our competitors Fitch was one of those competitors. So when Fitch says that they're warning against El Salvador's Bitcoin move, you can be sure to not listen to it and be healthy and happy holding your own keys. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Haven't done a daily train wreck for you for in a while but uh, I got one for you here. Jacobin, at Jacobin, J-A-C-O-B-I-N. B I N. What is Jacobin? Let's look at what Jacobin is in the first place. Jacobin offers socialist perspectives on politics, economics, and culture. Support our work and subscribe to our print magazine. So here's the article, or here's the tweet, first of all. Bitcoin is an asset so useless that even if a financial transactions tax completely destroyed it, the world would be better off. It's a nonsensical statement. It's it's almost it's almost sophomoric in its construction. I've seen I've seen better statements out of high school English majors, or well not majors, but high school English class people. Students. That's what I'm getting at. Sorry, sorry. This thing has jarred me pretty, you know, pretty good. So I'm I'm a little confused. Um, it's a terrible sentence. Bitcoin is an asset so useless that even if a financial transactions tax completely destroyed it, the world would be better off. Just roll that around in your head a little bit and you'll understand why I'm saying that this is just, this is sophomoric at best. So what is, what's the article that they're talking about? Well, it's called, we need to start taxing Bitcoin by a guy named Dean Baker. And he said, I'll just read a couple of lines from this. This whole thing is just, it's horrible. Like most economists, I have always been a Bitcoin skeptic. The question has always been, what purpose does it serve? The idea that it would be a useful alternative currency is laughable on its face. How can you have a currency that wildly fluctuates year to year and hour to hour? Imagine if you had a wage or rent contract written in Bitcoin, both your pay and your rent would have more than tripled over the last year, likely leaving you unemployed and unable to pay your unaffordable rent. Economists often exaggerate the problem of inflation, but having currencies that has large and unpredictable increases and decreases in value is a real problem. And it just goes on like this. And they, uh, they're trying, what they're trying to do here is tax each transaction. This is written by somebody who hasn't even taken a cursory look, a cursory look at how Bitcoin actually works. You're going to get this shit from for the next 10 years, probably 20, guys. And it's just embarrassing when people start talking about this shit and they haven't even looked at the very first essences of what Bitcoin actually how it actually works what it does, in what environments it operates, nothing. Because if you did, you would know that you can't tax a transaction. Now, sure, if you let somebody custody your keys, and you try to do a a transaction from that custody key, well, yeah, of course. But that's not the point of Bitcoin. You hold your own keys. You make your own destiny. You become your own sovereign individual. You don't let Other people hold your coins, not your keys, not your coin. All right, let's get on with it. Dad says jokes. What did the shipmates find in the toilet? The captain's log. That's it, buddy. That's it for today's show. 4:45 4:45 is in the bag. All I got to say is I'm still working with, with Apple. I'm trying to figure out what the hell's going on with the Apple podcast thing and why my shit's not propagating over there from the RSS feed. Um, it's, it's moving on, but it's just taking a long time. It's it, I got to be patient. There's not much else that I can do other than pull my hair out. But in the meantime, if you want to give me value for value in listening to this podcast, hit me up on the Breeze Wallet. Find the podcast in the podcasting section of The Breeze Wallet, B-R-E-E-Z Wallet. And you can stream me Satoshis while you listen to my dulcet tones, and I'll do more of that tomorrow. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.